jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds, arts and culture. Style Philosophers with Michael Paris is sponsored by The Bubble Collection, a fragrance collection that's genderless, ageless and boundless. Scents that are so light, they'll just tease the air around you and others. Break out of your bubble, where you can dream, wonder, and create harmony. For more information about The Bubble Collection, go to thebubblecollection.com and follow them on Instagram at The Bubble Collection. Ladies and gentlemen, Style Philosophers, with host Michael Paris on jasoncharles.net. Welcome to Style Philosophers on jasoncharles.net podcast network. I'm your host, Michael Paris, and thank you for joining me. We're recording today from a penthouse conference room on the 31st floor in Manhattan. Here, we may occasionally hear a siren or two or some street noise, so just bear with us. In this program, I have a fascinating guest, Miranda Gordon, and we'll be exploring the style of scent. What makes fragrance so alluring to us? Well, we're going to find out. And as you may know, Style Philosophers is a series where I interview passionate visionaries, experts, and style gurus across many cultural creative professions. Together, we explore their unique stories, knowledge, and style philosophies. Miranda Gordon is one of those passionate experts who I currently have the pleasure of working with on a very special project. I definitely consider her a style philosopher. Hello, Miranda, and welcome to Style Philosophers. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Miranda, scent is a topic that many of us are aware of, but really know very little about. After this podcast, The Style of Scent, our listeners will hopefully experience and smell fragrance a whole new way. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about your background. Is that cool? That's totally cool. So, Miranda is the Vice President of Marketing Fine Fragrance at Mon New York City. Mon is one of the leading fragrance and flavor companies in the world. A 23-year fragrance industry veteran, her previous work experience includes olfactive marketing roles in other fragrance houses such as Fermaniche, Givadon, and Avon. She is the curator of New York's Mon Gallery, a series of olfactive installations designed to explore specific challenges facing the fragrance industry and to propose immediate, actionable business solutions. She's always seeking ways to link ideas to fragrance development. Originally from Honolulu, Miranda holds a degree in classical archaeology from Princeton. She speaks French, Italian, and Spanish, but mostly French and mostly in France. She holds an MBA in marketing from Columbia and is pursuing a master's in herbology. She loves art, history, mythology, children's literature, and vintage fashion. She is a passionate city gardener, cultivating a super olfactive garden of herbs, flowers, and fruits on Pomander Walk in Manhattan. As a side note, she will never turn down an invitation to karaoke. Miranda, I am so excited to be able to take this olfactive journey with you right now. I'm delighted to be doing this with you, Michael. So let's just jump in here and talk a little bit about your background fascinates me because how does somebody with a degree in classical archaeology and marketing end up working in the fragrance industry? Oh, it's a great question. 
First, I want to validate anyone who ever studied any liberal art in college and didn't know what they were going to do with that. Um, I personally graduated at the height of a recession, or perhaps the depths of a recession. Uh, I moved to New York City hoping to find a job in something to do with art or archaeology, a, a gallery, a museum, an auction house. Um, I did wind up working for an auction house, but at that time, many of my Princeton classmates were folding T-shirts at the Gap. Um, that's what it was like at that time. And as much as I would have loved to have opened the New York Times and seen in the Help Wanted section, desperately seeking classically trained archaeologists to go to North Africa and dig in the dirt with a toothbrush <laughs> will happily pay six figures. Um, that just wasn't happening. <laughs> so um, I spent a couple of years in the auction world, learned a lot, saw incredible art, met amazing people, wore some fantastic jewels <laughs> very briefly, then took them <laughs> off and put them back in the vault. Um, uh, but discovered that that wasn't really a viable way to make a living. So I went back to school. I went back to business school, uh, intending to retool and find something else that I could really uh, love, uh, but make a make a living at. And it was fragrance. You found you you gravitated to the fragrance industry somehow. I did. I did. Um, in storytelling theory, there are two kinds of time. Uh, both words from the Greek. Chronos is is regular time, ordinary time passing. I woke up. I brushed my teeth. I went to work. Kairos is that kind of time in which something life changing, magical, brilliant, and eye opening happens. And I had a Kairos moment in business school. We had a um, career advisor who asked me which section of the New York Times I read first. And I said, well, the front section, of course. And she knew I was lying. <laughs> and she said, really? I said, no, I read the style section. And I also, I also like the food section. And she said, good. What other publications do you read? And I said, someone at my gym keeps leaving women's wear daily in the, in the basket, in the newspaper basket. And so I've been reading Women's Wear Daily every time I go to the gym. And I really like it because it's, it's short. I can read the whole thing, and it's got color photos. And I really love the Fridays because on Friday the new perfumes come out. And I read the articles, and there's all these lists of ingredients. And I wonder, what is ambergris? What is ylang-ylang? What is vetiver? And that's interesting Amazing. to me. And this career advisor said, that's it. That's your thing right there. You like style. You like food. You like perfume. She said, you've got two full years in business school in which you're going to choose many companies and industries where you get a choice of what to study from every angle. Choose something in the perfume field so that when you graduate in two years, you've got something to talk about in an interview. And that was brilliant. Amazing. So that, I, I would sort of consider that the moment that you realized you had a real passion for fragrance and that you could develop a skill set that would allow you to do something unique in that business? Or was there another moment in a, an epiphany that, that really confirmed that, yeah, this is, this is right where I want to be? Um, well, I, I, I debated between perfume and wine. Wine was equally interesting to me, but wine wasn't in New York. If you wanted a career in wine, you needed to relocate to California or to mm. Europe. And I was a New Yorker that point so it became perfume I want you to know that I don't have any special skill or talent in my nose I don't have any better nose than anybody else does what I have is a trained nose the vocabulary to talk about what I'm smelling um, and that is something that anyone can learn and it's something that I learned on the job 
Uh, and I'm very, very grateful to the people who took the time to, to, to train me and to smell with me. But this is not a gift. It is an education, and anyone can learn it. And an ongoing one, obviously. It never ends. Unbelievable. So <laughs> equally as important in, in every profession, we have mentors, we have muses. Do you have any? Many. Would you like to I, I, share I, some of those with us? Specifically in business school, uh, I had a professor. I took every one of Morris Holbrook's marketing classes at Columbia Business School. And Morris continues to be a friend and mentor get Christmas cards. Outside of the classroom, he had two great passions, and they were jazz and baseball. (laughs) And whenever he needed to illustrate a marketing point, he would choose an anecdote or an example from jazz or from baseball to bring it alive and to get the, the, the class involved. And what that taught me is that anything that you're passionate about can be brought into your work for storytelling purposes for illustration purposes and I have followed that with every project I've ever worked on nothing that you learn goes to waste absolutely and you know it 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 dovetails right in to the fragrance industry perfectly because really successful fragrances are really based on storytelling and if you've got a great story to tell about a fragrance the rest just falls all into place so it's 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 a natural a natural for you, obviously. So um, let's sort of shift a little bit uh, in the background that I had gone through earlier. We had mentioned that you curate the Mon Gallery. Tell us about what that is and how it's useful. The gallery was originally conceived by my colleagues in Paris as a physical space for entertaining clients, fragrance, fragrance clients. It wasn't open to the public. For the express purpose of exploring a business challenge, a challenge that's facing our clients, that's facing ourselves, and attacking that challenge from every possible angle so that every customer would leave with something smart to do on her brand immediately. And we've explored different topics over the years, um, the meaning of freshness, the meaning of sexy. Uh, We've explored time. Uh, This year we're going to be exploring power and the different ways that uh, power is relevant for the creation of fragrance and, and for consumer perception and for uh, who's got power in the, in the creative process and how can we give more power to, to the people who grow our, our materials and, and shift the value closer to the, to the source in the value chain. The purpose is always a fusion of, of fragrance and education. And that is a need that has come up largely because many of the marketers, particularly in the U.S., are, are not coming to us with a strong fragrance background. You might find someone responsible for marketing a brand, but they're coming from uh, the flavors side of the business, or they come out of consumer packaged goods, or they come out of some other beauty category, skincare, hair care, uh, color cosmetics, where they don't have fragrance language. So part of what every fragrance house is always doing is inviting our clients into our world and teaching them our language so they can do their own jobs better. The better they do their jobs, the less hard work there is for us, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and again, the first time I ever attended one of your installations, I noticed that uh, not only did I learn a tremendous amount about different uh, notes 
and different types of uh, things that go into a fragrance. But again, the stories behind those uh, those things, the story behind vanilla, and uh, the story about what part of the vanilla bean or inside the vanilla, you know, makes a huge difference in how we perceive you know how it's being used in a fragrance so again it's telling that story it's telling the story right down the line my focus on this episode is not to explain how you make a fragrance step by step but rather talk about fragrance categories and what that means to us let's talk a little bit about that let's talk to our our listeners about the various categories of fragrance because a lot of people may not know what those categories are but have experienced them, but we we haven't been able to label those. Let's clarify that a little bit. Whenever a subject is vast and complicated, we look for ways to break it into smaller, more digestible pieces. And fragrance families, um, which I think is what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. fragrance families are one way to get your head around Um, the many, many fragrances on the market. And some fragrance families have historical backgrounds. The the classic fragrance families, the the florals, the orientals, the shebras. Oriental and shebra have really specific historical meanings in the fragrance world, Um, specific ingredients, specific feelings, uh, specific fragrance structures. Um, but what's happened over time is is that, of course, our fragrances have evolved and, and we've sort of the categories have become um, kind of blurry. So, for example, the Sheeper category, that's spelled C-H-Y-P-R-E, and it's a difficult word for non-fragrance people to, to get their heads around. In the 1910s, Francois Cody, who was a, a master of leveraging the learnings of the Industrial Revolution to bring fragrance to a much, much broader audience, Francois Cody and his family went on vacation uh, in the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus, which is called Chypre in French. And he came back from his vacation with these lovely olfactive memories of this place and commissioned a perfume that had a lot of these smells of the island of Cyprus in it. So there was uh, some citrus and and, uh, bergamot, which is a citrus in the top note, and he had some classic floral, some rose and some, some jasmine in the heart. Uh, and then there was this really signature interesting background that was the, the vegetation of the island of Cyprus and then had in it some, some oak moss um, and some woody notes, some patchouli and, and, and a, a resin uh, called uh, rock rose or cystus. Cystus labdanum is the name of the plant. And this fragrance uh, was a big success and so other companies um, imitated it or rather did their own versions of it um, with that, that citrusy top and the, and the florals and the heart and then this really interesting uh, resiny, mossy background. And so the grandmother of the category, this fragrance that was called Shepra, became the name of the whole category. Now what's interesting today is that when we talk about a Shepra, what we usually mean is something that has the sensuality and the sophistication and the warmth and the depth of that, although it might not have any patchouli in it or any oak moss in it. It's something that has that, that vibe. Um, similarly with the, with the Oriental family, um, an Oriental should have this vanillic, balsamic, warm background. Um, but today you could say, well, it's a, a sheer modern vanilla that replaces that, um, the vanilla balsamic piece with coconut or something else that's creamy. I think some of the fragrance families are really arbitrary. And I think of a similar category to ours, such as wine. And when you walk into a wine store, sometimes it's organized by region, right? All the California wines are here and all the French wines are over there. And sometimes it's organized by grape, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you can get all, maybe all the Pinot Noirs are together no matter where they're from. 
But there are also wine stores organizing by other principles. I think of uh, Best Bottles on Broadway, um, where they've got the fresh and the fizzy and the sweet and the other categories, or, or a place like Bottle Rocket, which is down on Lower Fifth Avenue, and Bottle Rocket organizes by uh, what kind of takeout are you having? So these are the wines that go with Chinese, and these are the wines that go with Italian, and these are the wines that go with Thai. Brilliant. I think any organizing principle is valid if it helps you identify what you like and what you're looking for. Very interesting. What would be considered the classic families within fragrance? There, there are some pillars that everyone uses. There's the citrus, the florals, orientals, chipra, woody, the fougeres, the aromatics. I think that there are many ways to organize your thoughts around fragrance. And I don't think that everyone needs to use the same categories. Um, what's even true is that among experts, we don't always agree on how to categorize something. Americans may smell something very differently than the way the French smell it because we've got different cultural associations. Similarly, I don't think a consumer necessarily needs to use expert olfactive language to know what they like. And also, you know, a really expert uh, fragrance wearer or a fragrance wearer with a lot of confidence, they'll layer and they'll mix different families together and come up with something that smells good on them. Yeah. So um, it really it really depends. I don't think that there are any fast and hard rules anymore when it comes to families or categories within fragrance. One of the hardest things in this industry about changing jobs is that in your last place of employment, you knew how that group of people categorized everything and then you go and you get a new job and and people are categorizing things differently and you have to unlearn what you thought you knew you thought it was an oriental woody fragrance but here it's a floral oriental fragrance there are no wrong answers in fragrance i really i really believe that i i agree with you i think that what's interesting also is there is a subconscious global attraction to certain types of categories and notes that go into the fragrance and I find that a lot more interesting tell us a little bit about that is there a a subconscious attraction that different people from around the world have when they smell a fragrance there are some olfactive experiences that are universal we all know what the smell of clean skin is no matter what ethnicity you are or what country you're from or what kind of soap is used in your country. You know what clean skin smells like. Right. We also know what body odor smells like. Uh, we also know what, what some malodors smell like. Um, we don't all have the same emotional attachment to specific smells. So I think a lot of people would tell you that they love the smell of the ocean. But someone who's never been to the ocean might not have fond memories of that or even be able to tell you what that smells like. So... I hesitate to say that anything is fully universal. One of the great learnings uh, for this industry in, in, in attempting to be more global um, is discovering that people in Asia don't have a cultural reference for the smell of vanilla. In the West, we use vanilla in a lot of our cooking, and we're accustomed to it in perfume. Uh, and in Asia, vanilla is not a standard part of the, the olfactive daily life. And so fragrances with an overdose of vanilla are off-putting. Uh, or at least are not well accepted because people don't know it. Things like coffee. Uh, if you take a, a coffee-scented perfume to a country where people only drink tea, it's a disconnect. Fascinating. And, and then some of the truly universal smells, things like mother's milk, right? 
Um, do you remember the smell of mother's milk? No. Okay. Um, I, I've probably been a nursing mother more recently than you will ever be. And I can tell you, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a pleasant aroma, actually. Okay. <laughs> Some think, I think the most um, universal smells tend to be not pleasant. Um, that said, uh, the smell of a lover's skin. Me, hopefully that's something everybody knows at some point in their life. Well, I'm going to stop you right there because your lover's skin. So automatically we start thinking about sexual attraction or seduction. Mm -hmm. How important, in your opinion, is sexual attraction and seduction in fragrance? I think that we as marketers have made it much too important. I think the world of fragrance and the experience of wearing fragrance and enjoying fragrance is so much vaster and more nuanced than this narrow little bucket of seduction and attraction. Um, I think we, particularly um, in the U.S., I think we sort of pigeonholed ourselves uh, in the 70s and 80s by implying that the purpose of perfume is to seduce and attract um, and we see that, in fact, in consumer patterns, right? People um, get married and then they stop wearing fragrance because they no longer need to seduce and attract their spouse. And then, and then you see an, an uptick in fragrance wearing um, when people get divorced and they're going back out there. I think that fragrance is something you wear to please yourself for the way it makes you feel. And that's an inner-directed motive, not an outer-directed motive. While the way that you smell certainly can bring someone closer to you I don't think that's the only purpose of it and I would I'm, I'm very gratified to see that the industry is promoting other messages around fragrance I think we spend very little of our lives trying to actively seduce and attract I think we spend most of our lives sleeping or at work or in transit or being parents or going to yoga or in some kind of professional setting where uh, sending a message of attraction and seduction might be really inappropriate. And I would love for us to be wearing fragrance for all of the other reasons and all of the other ways that it can make you feel. I think it can make you feel confident or hopeful or relaxed or inspired or grounded. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm much more interested in all of the other emotions on the on the wheel of emotions. Amazing. It uh, goes right back to looking at scent, the philosophy of scent, where you know, you're not going for the blatant sexuality, but there are so many other nuanced layers of looking at and experiencing fragrance that are just as powerful and really have an enormous impact on how we recall and remember that fragrance for the first time and stays with us for years to come. I think fragrance in many ways functions for us um, in terms of our memory uh, the way that music does. We use it to mark time, mm -hmm. right? This is the fragrance that I wore the summer of my first kiss or this was the, this was the song that was playing um, uh, the, the year that I was in school learning whatever. I had a conversation with a perfumer who said that she listened to music for all different kinds of moods and she certainly had her romantic playlist and her happy playlist but she also had the playlist um for when she was angry and and um and and tearful and anxious and frustrated and she said that when people are in love 
that's a big part of that is that is the, the, the anxiety, the waiting for the phone to ring or you've had a spat and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. And she created a fragrance that was about those feelings um, because sometimes you don't always want to be you know, soothed and romantic. Sometimes you, you want to match your mood in other ways. And there's music for that, for sorrow and for anger. She made a fragrance for that. And it smelled like tears and sweat and ashes and, uh, and Doritos, actually. It's not a little <laughs> like junk food. <laughs> That's interesting. And it's not something I'd want to wear every day, but I get it. Right. You saw where it was coming from. Yeah. So we were talking earlier in the program, and we've been mentioning the fragrance houses, uh, maisons. Let's talk a little bit about those fragrance houses. And would you say that there is a philosophy or a history or a direction that each one of those houses have. I know that, you know, Guerlain, you know, an amazing fragrance house, a really old fragrance house, they started out and they, like Cody, they had a formula, they had the Guerlainade, a certain mixture of notes that really identified them and sort of set a philosophy of what their fragrances were going to be all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk about that. And is there a philosophy uh, that Mon has or a certain philosophy in the industry that is of interest and would be of interest to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, There are a handful of fragrance houses creating perfumes for most of the brands that you've heard of. And each house generally either came from a background in natural raw materials or a background in chemistry. And while every house now does everything, both naturals and synthetics, there's always sort of an undercurrent and a philosophy there. Um, As for man, I would point out that our corporate color is green. That is not without meaning. But I'll tell you a story. When I came here and I was asking you about our logo, and our logo has um, the initials VMF embedded in a little, a little square, and I asked what that meant. And I was told that the founder of the company, Victor Mann, uh, the, the logo stands for a Victor Mann Fies, Victor Mann and Sons, uh, and Victor was the great-grand-uncle of the, the current management. I think we're now in our fifth or sixth uh, generation of, of family management. That Victor in 1871 was a gentleman farmer living in the south of France and growing roses and jasmine like all of his neighbors and in May when his roses were ripe he would pick his roses and put them in the back of his horse cart and take them up to the big perfume houses on the hill to be turned into perfume and one year for whatever reason Victor was a little late and the big perfume houses said thanks we have enough and he looked at his roses and he said but my roses are perfect I can't let them go to waste, it would be, that would be wrong. And he turned around and went back down to his barn and rolled up his sleeves and built a still and distilled his own roses. And this story captures for me two really fundamental things about the philosophy of this company. First of all, we don't waste, we use what we have. And second of all, that entrepreneurial spirit that no one here is, is too proud or too important to roll up their sleeves and build the thing and get it done. And that is what makes me want to work here. Phenomenal. It really is. We talk about history and all of these things that go into making a fragrance house and how the fragrance uh, industry and the fragrance consumer has evolved over all of those years. Mm-hmm. But stays with these houses because, like you said, these houses really are responsible for making majority of fragrances that we all buy. 
There was a time when there were fewer perfumes on the market, when perfume was a very costly luxury, and where people wore it in order to leave a lasting impression. But I, I think the ways that we wear fragrance have changed over time. For example, in ancient Rome, if you were a wealthy matron, you would probably go maybe daily to the local baths, which was sort of uh, like going to the gym. You, would, uh, you might take a steam and a sauna and a cold plunge, and you might do some, some stretching and some exercise, and um, you, you might have brought with you um, uh, your, your, your maid, and she would probably give you a rub down with some oil and then scrape the oil off your skin with a little, a little metal scraper called a strigil that would remove uh, um, dirt and sweat and, and leave you feeling very clean. And you probably had eight or nine different scented oils. You would have one scented oil for your feet and a different scented oil for your hair and a different one for your face and for your torso. And maybe that sounds extravagant, like why do you need so many smells on your body? But I want you to think about all the different products in your bathroom and the fact that if you use a foot cream or a foot powder, that probably smells minty and aromatic or maybe rosemary. And maybe you use a deodorant product and that might smell, um, that might smell powdery. And your shampoo, um, well, maybe not your shampoo, Michael, but another person who has hair would have shampoo. That's right. um, and your shampoo probably has a, a, a green apple fruity pear and some floral sea in it. Uh, and then maybe you might put on your perfume, which would be your woody and your vetiver. Uh, I think we continue to use many, many different smells on our bodies. Um, they're just not all perfumes. I think, too, uh, in America, we put all kinds of fragrance on our babies, right? Johnson's baby powder has a smell, and, John, and Johnson's shampoo, or maybe you use baby magic or a baby, a baby wash on your baby, or maybe you have the sleepy time one that has a little lavender. That's right. And in fact, one of the first scents that we re- remember really is lavender, because chances are in hospitals or wherever that were powdering us, uh, back in the day, everything sort of had like laced a little with lavender. And um, men have a really strong recollection of that, and they love lavender. Most everybody loves lavender, but you know, men in particular really, really love that smell. And it harkens back to those earliest memories of when you first experienced a fragrance, a mm-hmm. scent. One of the classic fragrance families uh, is the fougere family. And fougere is a French word. It means fern. Uh, and it, too, I think, takes its name from a, an old, old fragrance that had the name. Um, but that, that signature is a mixture of lavender and geranium. And to most people, it smells like barbershop. It smells like good grooming. Uh, and so that's a comfort scent um, for, for many, many people. Very much so. One thing that we end up uh, hearing from time to time from different people is that they have a signature scent or we have a signature scent. And let's delve into that. Uh, movie stars have been known to have a signature scent. Even by brand, I mean, they would ask Marilyn Monroe, what, what do you wear to bed? And she goes, Chanel number no. five. You know, so that was, you know, that was her take on her signature scent. And uh, I think a lot of other celebrities and people like wearing something that will identify them uh, totally to that to that scent. You know, Chanel Number no. Five is an interesting an interesting case because it's w- one of the top selling perfumes in the world. It used to be the number one, and, and now Angel has displaced it in, in some parts of the world. But Chanel Number no. Five is still a a top top seller. There's a difference between being bought and being worn, and I think people buy Chanel Number no. Five because it's Chanel Number no. Five. First, it's easy to identify the woman who's wearing it, but generally, she's trying to tell you 
something about who she hopes to be. She wants to smell like Chanel Number no. Five because of what she believes that Chanel Number no. Five represents. I understand that. I think Shalimar is like that too, on some levels. Yeah. Uh, it provides you the confidence of a personality. I once discovered a vintage bottle of the original Miss Dior. And I love Miss Dior. It's got a big old slug of uh, oak moss in it. We're not even allowed to use natural oak moss Amazing. anymore. And I, and I wore it in the office. And an evaluator uh, smelled me as I passed her in the hall. And she said, uh-uh-uh, honey. She said, you're not old enough to wear that fragrance. And I think what she meant was it's an old lady fragrance. But I, what I heard was something like that scene in Breakfast at Tiffany's where Audrey Hepburn says, oh, sorry, Holly Golightly says, I think it's tacky for a woman to wear diamonds before she's at least 40. And what she's really saying, of course, is she, she doesn't get to have any diamonds. She's, she, and, and, and so she's making an excuse for the fact that she can't afford to have any diamonds. Um, but I loved being told that I, I, I wasn't old enough to wear it yet, so, as though I needed um, a little more experience to carry that fragrance. Very interesting. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the history of signature scents or celebrity scents. And have you worked on any? Uh, of course, we all have. Um, Natalie Wood's daughter created a very loving tribute fragrance in memory of her mother that was a, a, a gardenia fragrance, simply called Natalie. Uh, and we worked on that here at Man. And um, the best part of that is, is the story that this is a daughter's memory of her mom. And the fact that her mother was a famous movie star is almost secondary to the fact that this is a, a loving tribute to, to a lost parent. Interesting. I could remember my mother, and I could remember opening my mother's handbag or purse and smelling what the inside of that purse smelled like. What Melody. did it smell like? Um, it smelled like uh, some mint, and it smelled like um, uh, Lily of the Valley mm-hmm. um, uh, because she loved that, and I think a lot of her florals were light white florals. And it always had that sort of beauty, that lightness to it inside, but always tinged with, of course, some breath mints. So it was white floral and breath mints. Uh, that was probably how we would describe the inside of my mom's purse. I will tell you a mom's story, too. Go ahead. For almost all of my life, my mother has been a fragrance rejector. My mother uses soap and she uses deodorant, but she wasn't a perfume person. And after my grandmother passed away about 20 years ago, my mother and I went to, to clean out her house. And many of my mother's old suits from her Saks Fifth Avenue days uh, in the early 1960s were still hanging in my grandmother's house. And I tried one of them on, on this beautiful uh, black cashmere suit with a, uh, an astrakhan collar. And I buried my face in the fur collar of my mother's suit, and I smelled perfume. And I, I sniffed it again. I thought, my mother doesn't wear perfume. There was unmistakably some perfume in the collar of this suit. And I said, Mom, did you used to wear perfume? And she said, I haven't worn that suit since 1962, but back then I wore joy. And the fur in the collar uh, was Mongolian lamb. The fur had held onto the, the traces of the dry down of joy for almost 40 years. Amazing. You know, a signature scent even goes back to when someone would send a letter. They would scent the letter because it was so much a part of who they were that just smelling that would conjure up the idea that they were with that person again. And there was a time when a woman would want to only smell like this one thing ever and to have people know that that was what she wore. 
Um, and I and I think that we've we've moved to a different usage habit now. I, I think it's it's cultural and time based. Exactly. Things change, and fast forwarding in today's world, the marketing of these fragrances certainly changes. As a creative marketer, what challenges do you see in the fragrance world right now? Our visual messaging is not as inclusive as I'd like to see it be. I see um, really progressive messaging in color cosmetics, in skincare, and hair care. Now, perfume, by its very nature, um, is, an, is an inclusive product, right? There, there, there's no one who can't wear perfume, uh, I mean, right. ba- barring severe allergies. And anyone can participate in fragrance, even if they're not willing to spend money on buying a costly bottle of perfume, you're still smelling. There are still uh, aromas you can put on your body. So it's, by nature, the product is inclusive, but the messaging, I think, could be, could be more so. Um, I, could, I could show you hundreds of perfume ads in which a very young, very thin model exemplifying Western European beauty standards is representing the fragrance and, and, and probably wearing an evening gown and staring over her left shoulder. Um, That's right. And I think that not everyone who wears perfume is young or thin or white or conventionally pretty or going out for the evening in an evening gown, particularly now, particularly uh, during lockdown and, and, and whatever's going to happen after lockdown. We may not be going out in evening gowns for a good long time. And I would really like to see our messages be more about the fragrance that you wear when you're working from home uh, to help you mark the days and remember that it's a weekend and not a, not a work day. Whenever I see an ad that um, surprises me with its inclusivity, Joe Malone did a, a brilliant ad campaign for a, a little mini collection called Herb Garden uh, with a, a grandmotherly type doing her gardening. And I thought, God, I've never seen an old lady in a fragrance ad. That's Awesome. Uh, Bijan in the 1980s had a Botero-esque nude model in his ads, and that was shocking for its time. That's right. I remember that. Um, I can tell you, if you Google black men fragrance, what you will get is 200 ads showing a fragrance called Hugo Boss Black or Polo Black or or, or uh, Kenneth Cole Black, but it'll be a white guy with a little bit of scruff and some blue eyes. I don't think we have enough representation of, of people of color, of different body types, of different ages, of different usage occasions uh, in our ad communications. I'd like to see that. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that coming, uh, going into the future, uh, I hope. And again, it's being nimble and pivoting. These are two words that we're using a lot now, being that our lifestyles are changing so much. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the way we're going to be buying fragrance and more of it's going to be happening direct to consumer online, mm-hmm. we will have to be communicating those messages in a completely different way, in a more focused and targeted way to include all of these people in terms of who we're trying to you know, talk to and, and, or seduce or to enchant or to romance or mm-hmm. however we're trying to tell our story. We really, really have to dig deeper and get a lot more creative and market in completely new ways. So it's very exciting uh, to be a marketer right now, I feel, in this industry in, in, in particular. The sky's the limit because we really are 
doing things in a completely new way. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what you cook up in terms of the work that you're doing at MON. I could see it actually going two different ways. One is for brands to become very, very inclusive and show you a little bit of everybody. Uh, And the other is to eliminate all people in your ads uh, altogether and just talk about the product. Um, Talk about how does it smell? How does it make you feel? Where does it take you in your mind? I think that may even lend itself better to direct to consumer marketing. Um, Show me the ingredients or show me a place or give me a playlist or um, a little mini movie. Show me how it makes me feel and let me project myself into that no matter who I am. That may be more viable. And escape as well. I mean, you know, I want to be on that beach in Capri or I want to be in Morocco or who knows. uh, It will, it'll transport you there uh, without thinking that, oh, I have to be him or I have to be her in that ad. So uh, there are different ways of really approaching this, but uh, it'll be very interesting to see how, how marketing really swings with things that are happening in today's world and going into the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, The style of scent is never ending. And if you had to forecast it, where do you see it going? Just uh, in in the broadest stroke. Right now, the top selling fragrances in the world dominate an outrageous percentage of sales, um, particularly in the men's market. Like right now, the, the top 20 department store fragrances in the men's market represent about 50% of the dollars. There, there's one bottle of um, Blue de Chanel, which is the number one in the U.S. There's one bottle of that sold, I think it's got almost 10% of the market right now. Amazing. Okay. Where I see us going is much, much, hopefully much more fragmentation. I would love for consumers not to buy something because it, um, it's safe and they feel confident wearing it because everybody else is wearing it or because it's appropriate. I would love for people to buy fragrance because um, it makes them feel something more interesting than, than appropriate. I would love for people to feel inspired or outrageous in some way. Uh, and that means maybe not buying your fragrance because it's the best seller at your local department store. Or, or being brand loyal, or this designer did it so it must be good, or whatever, just to really take more chances. I, I, would, I would like everyone to take more chances. I would like everyone to wear more fragrance. I would like everyone to have you know, a different fragrance for every day of the week or for every, you know, every different mood. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, You know, I did a study on uh, how different people wear fragrances around the world and how, in comparison to other countries, how little Americans really wear fragrance. You know, we may put one fragrance on and it'll go from day to night if it lasts that long. But in other parts of the world, people really use different fragrances at different times of the day. And again, they're not afraid to layer things or experiment more and... um, they really do uh, use fragrance as wardrobe. They really do cultivate this knack for, I'm in this mood and this is my, this is what I wear when I'm like a playlist, when I'm a little down, or this, is, this will pick me up, or this is my seduction fragrance, or this is a great alfresco luncheon, you know, a summer fragrance, a crisp, you know, bergamot and vetiver for summer. I mean, what's more classic than that for, especially for a guy, you know, it's just clean and beautiful. And then you start to associate those scents with, you know, things that you're doing or 
this is what I'm doing today. These are the scents I'm wearing today. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we can help people get to um, by repositioning the usage occasion, right? Don't make fragrance about the big night out. If we sell um, inexpensive fragrance in a very large bottle that you're meant to pour and splash on your body multiple times a day because it makes you feel fresh, people will rethink the gesture. Um, alternatively, if we make it less expensive and we sell a much smaller quantity of it, it's less of an investment, and so people aren't going to hoard it and save it for these special occasions. Um, I think there are there are things that we can do as marketers to um, change the expectation and to change the habit. Exactly. You know, I don't. I always uh, sort of wince when I hear people say, "Oh, and this fragrance lasted for 12 hours." Well, you, sometimes you don't want a fragrance to last for 12 hours. Maybe you only want it to last for four hours or five hours, a, an eau de toilette or an eau fraiche or something with less concentration, so that you can, in, later in the day, put in, put something else on, and enjoy in, enjoy that journey of where that fragrance is going to take you. The you know, in the next few hours or wherever. Finally, I'm just going to ask you the question I ask all of our guests. What is your style philosophy? Such a deep question. Do the homework. That's my approach to everything. Often if I don't like something, it's because I don't yet understand it. Uh, and that's as true of perfume as it is of art or food that, or music. That once you have a little bit of knowledge, you might appreciate it differently. So particularly when I smell a perfume and I don't like it or I don't get it, I owe it to myself to lean into that discomfort, to learn what was the perfumer trying to do here? What are the ingredients? Where did they come from? How were they grown? What is it about this fragrance that makes me uncomfortable? Does it remind me of something? Because once you understand it, you still might not like it, right? Liking is a, is a, is a question of, of, uh, of personal aesthetics, but you might appreciate it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would encourage anyone to lean into, into knowledge and to do the homework. Terrific. Well, you know, Miranda, Style Philosophers is a place that focuses on guests like you uh, who share one thing in common. That's a bold, smart, unique style philosophy. And I really think you personify that. Thank uh, you. <laughs> thank you, Miranda, <laughs> uh, for sharing your expertise with us. I, I look forward to continuing our work at MON on a very new dynamic fragrance project that we're working on together, actually. But we'll more of that in the future. But tell us, where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you? Or if they have a question to ask you, how could they do that? Where, where could they go? I love talking about what I do. And I love talking to people who have questions. And I would encourage anyone uh, to email me at miranda.gordon at man.com or reach out on LinkedIn uh, to Miranda Gordon or follow me on Instagram or Twitter uh, at miramira808. That's at M-I-R-A-M-I-R-A-808. And I'd like to thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me on your podcast. You're very it's, welcome. It's a pleasure talking about the style of scent um, with you. And, uh, and I look forward to following you on Facebook and Instagram at Style Philosophers. And, of course, subscribing and following this podcast as well. I think what you're doing here with JasonCharles.net, it's fascinating. Well, listen, it's great. And um, 
I am, again, grateful that you've taken the time to sit with us and uh, really delve into some of the, the fine details of fragrance. You make it sound so alluring, and I just hope that everybody goes out there and just jumps online and starts buying more fragrances because that's really what it's all about. And uh, it's just an, a, an amazing way to experience uh, memory and scent. And I love it. You know, I'm, I'm so passionate about fragrance and uh, you make it seem so approachable and so interesting. So I hope our, our listeners got a lot out of this today as much as I have. So anyway, in the meantime, I want everyone to listen to our podcasts uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. And you can also stream these programs on jasoncharles.net podcast networks on the arts and culture shows. Stay current with all matters of style and upcoming programs by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Style Philosophers. And until next time, this is Michael Paris reminding you to be confident and live by your own style philosophy. Style Philosophers With host Michael Paris on JasonCharles.net For more information about Michael Paris and the Style Philosophers, follow at Style Philosophers on Instagram. Style Philosophers with Michael Paris is sponsored by The Bubble Collection, a fragrance collection that's genderless, ageless, and boundless. Scents that are so light, they'll just tease the air around you and others. Break out of your bubble, where you can dream, wonder, and create harmony. For more information about The Bubble Collection, go to thebubblecollection.com and follow them on Instagram at thebubblecollection. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.